So if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Coolangatta, and we're just so stoked you're with us today. We're in week three of our Advent series leading into Christmas. And what we've learned is the word Advent means arrival or coming into place. It's the arrival of Jesus, our Savior, God himself coming in the flesh as a, as a little baby at Christmas time. It's the birth of Jesus, the Savior of all humanity. And that's the gospel. That's the good news that we share at Christmas. But there is more good news. In this season, Christians also anticipate Jesus' second coming. That's Jesus returning to renew all things when finally pain and sin and death and suffering will all end and will actually spend eternity with God in, in perfection again. Just like in the start in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening, free from all sin and pain, will be restored back to that. That's the anticipation of Jesus' second coming, and that's the hope that every Christian carries in this season. You see, the last two weeks, we explored peace and joy. The first week, I preached about the fact that Jesus promises us this peace, this peace that passes all understanding. We get access to that through prayer and through Jesus actually promising my peace I give you. It's this supernatural peace that that goes through all of life, that no matter what happens, we have this deep peace inside. And then Pastor Michael, he came down last week and preached on joy. The joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. But joy is this deep-seated joy that comes from the heart. And again, Jesus promises my joy, the joy that I have, I give to you. But this week, we're looking at something different. Did you know that there's a foundation we need for both joy and peace to flourish in our lives? And that foundation is hope. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to explore today. What is hope? And what is our hope actually in? Because I tell you, I need to have hope in my life. Because the world around me can just seem hopeless sometimes from so many different angles. Amen? So before we get into the message, I'd love to pray. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. For God, your word is truth. It is powerful. It is active. It is alive. It brings hope. So Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your word today with grace and truth and with love. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me. They'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Are you just hoping for a nice sleep in? Are you hoping for a nice relaxing holiday? Or are you hoping for a nice new shiny bike or something like that? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you're hoping for this Christmas. Maybe you might be able to tell them what you want for for a present. (laughs) But what are you hoping for this Christmas? David, I'll tell you what I want later. (laughs) All right. If you can bring it back, that'd be awesome. Well, there's a long list. Everyone's got a long list of presents they want. So there was a lot of lot of joy and a lot of laughter there, right? Because we, what we say, like what we hope for, 
usually are good, right? They're not bad things. Like, no one was sitting there going, I hope Uncle Earl doesn't come to the Christmas lunch. Like, <laughs> hopefully no one said that. Because generally we use hope in this positive way. Hope's this beautiful world word that we use, uh, and it's popular all over the world, and it represents this possibility of this positive, this good outcome, this beacon of light in the darkness. But nowadays, hope is expecting something to happen. Not being entirely sure that it will, it's, it's more like a wish. For example, we say things like, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope my favourite team wins the championship or that, that Australia would have won this morning. That would have been a miracle, not a hope. See, true. See, for example, hoping it doesn't rain or hoping your favourite team wins the championship, it's just crossing your fingers. It's just hoping that that might happen. Webster's Dictionary actually defines hope as to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. I just want it to happen, and I want it to be true, but there's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to be true. It's like if I hope to win the lottery, I hope that to be true, but it's probably not going to happen, right? This definition is based on doubt and uncertainty. It's no solid basis on evidence for us to trust that it'll actually happen. It's like a, a weak hope, and most of the time we're expecting to be disappointed. Like, I expect not to win the lottery. I expect to be disappointed by that. And there are lots of other things or different kinds of things we, we put our hope in. We put our hope in our job. We want to get a certain job or we want to get that promotion. We hope for that promotion or we hope for that big contract that will bring in a lot of money. So we hope for these things or in relationships. We hope we get a husband or a wife or we hope our friendships stay good and there's no dysfunction or we hope for a family relationship to be restored. Sometimes we hope in money. We hope that, that we'll have enough money to have financial security. Or we hope that we have enough money to get what we want, like that house right on the beach so I can go surfing every morning. How good would that be? Amen. <laughs> good. Or we hope in health, right? We hope that we don't get sick, that we stay strong and healthy so we can do everything we want in life to be free from pain and suffering. We hope for all these things that are uncertain. We hope in things that can actually be taken away at a moment's notice. You could lose your job. Relationships can break down all of a sudden without anything to do with you. Money can disappear. It's like trying to hold sand in your hand. Our health can just be changed in a moment when we have that diagnosis or we suddenly get sick. And our hope that's tethered to these things will ultimately disappoint because none of them are guaranteed. None of them are eternal. It's like me saying, I hope to be the best at whatever I do, but I can't stay on top forever. It's like a person who becomes world champion. Their whole life is driving for that, right? Their whole life is working towards becoming world champion of a sport. And they're hoping to get that position. They finally get it. They become world champion, but they never stay there. Someone always comes along who's younger, who's stronger, who's faster, and they end up losing that position one day. You know, many sportsmen and women, they actually go through depression after their sporting career is over because all their hopes and dreams, they were tethered to that one thing. They were attached to that one thing, and now it's over, and it's over forever. You see, putting our hope in temporary things eventually leads us to question all of life. It leads us to ask the question, if I'm hoping in material things, 
or hoping things that are out of my control or things that can be taken from me in a moment's, moment's notice, and there is no guarantee, then what's the point? I'm just going to be constantly disappointed. And for some people, this leads to feelings of hopelessness. And to be honest, when I look around the world, I feel a sense of hopelessness sometimes. When I look at the wars around the world, when I look at the state of the environment or the state of our political landscape, I get this overwhelming sense of hopelessness sometimes. Does anyone else feel that sometimes? Sometimes we feel so out of control, especially out of my control, that it seems to be no hope for humanity. I feel like we're slowly destroying each other and the world we live in. And you know, hopelessness is actually becoming an epidemic in society and leading to ever increasing rates of depression, anxiety, and fear. It's actually been medically proven that individuals who have no hope have no hope in the future. They set a foundation for deep depression, even suicide. For someone who's hopeless, the definition is someone that believes that nothing good can happen. There's nothing in the future to look forward to. There's no kind of happiness that seems possible for their life. Everything is just down. And everything they put their hope in has just failed them. Everything they tethered themselves to to bring peace and joy didn't live up to the expectations. Therefore, they just lose all hope for the future. So hopelessness is a huge and serious problem for our time and our culture. Have you ever been in a situation where you've just lost all hope? You know, three weeks before we planted New Life Coolangatta here in 2020, I was down surfing at Fingal. I went for a surf and I came back to notice my car had been stolen. It was gone. And I'm just standing there in my boardies and my board down in New South Wales. And my phone, wallet, everything was gone. My wife was on holidays up in the Sunshine Coast. Um, and so I'm like, what do I do? So I walked to the closest cafe. The only phone number I knew was my wife's. So I ring her up. I'm like, can you ring someone who's down the Gold Coast to come and pick me up, please? So finally, they get someone to pick me up. But then I went to the insurance company, and they refused to pay me out. They said, we're not paying you out. I put my key in a surf lock and attached to my car. And, and they don't know if they use that or not. But they said, because you did that, we don't have to pay you out. But if you ring the insurance company and say, can I use a surf lock? They say, yes, you can. Yet then when you go to claim, they say, no, you can't. We're not going to pay you. And so for months, it was back and forth. I was back and forth giving them recordings of them saying I could use it. They didn't care. They said, we know that you didn't do anything. We saw the guys who burned it out. They were on camera. So we know you didn't like steal it or it wasn't dodgy, but we're just not paying you. And it just crushed me. It crushed me in the spirit to think, really, that we're going to do that to one another? That we freely admit that that you didn't have any part of it, we just don't have to pay you, and so we're just not going to. And for months, I was battling this, and I was trying to get this church started. It was the first six months of this church, and there was just too much stress on me. In the end, I just gave up. I just lost all hope. I just went, that, that's it. I'm just going to say goodbye to that money. I've given all I hope up on, on, on the, the integrity of insurance companies or, or even humanity that you could do that to someone. It, what it made me realize is that hoping in, in fairness or companies or money or job or health or anything in the world really is no hope at all. That leaves us with a deeper question. If hope is wishful thinking, how can it be the foundation for joy and peace for a Christian? Well, Christian hope needs to be anchored to something greater than ourselves or worldly things because both of these things will actually fail us. 
You see, biblical hope is different. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for hope is tikvah. This word's translated into hope, and it has a lot of meaning associated with it. In the Hebrew context, both biblically and in modern Hebrew, it's more than just a wish. It's actually waiting on something to happen. Tikvah in the Old Testament means to wait for something with expectation, with anticipation. It's an expectation that it will happen. It's actually an expression of faith. And it's often accompanied with like joy and peace, and it's always related to God. So in the Old Testament, hope is not in worldly things, it's in God. So what about the New Testament? Well, the word hope in the New Testament is from the Greek word elpis. According to Strong's Concordance, elpis means expectation, trust, and confidence. It comes from the root word elpo, which means to anticipate with pleasure and to welcome. So elpis is this expectation of what's actually guaranteed. And it first appears in the New Testament in Matthew 12, 21, where it says, and in his name, in Jesus' name, the Gentiles will hope. That's all of us. We will have this expectation, this hope in Jesus. And Elpis is, uh, appears over 50 times in the New Testament. It's always used with anticipation of the future events that are certain to come, that are promised to come to us. It's this reasonable expectation of looking forward to the future with this assurance. And also in the New Testament, it's accompanied by joy and pleasure, and it's related to Jesus. So biblical hope is knowing the fact that the desired outcome will actually happen. It's totally different to the definition of Webster's Dictionary describes. The hope in the common understanding is this wishful thinking, but biblical hope is knowing that something will happen in the future. That's a hope that can really help us in life, right? But the question is, what is your hope in? Is it in the things of this world, or is it in God? 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul says to Timothy, who was a pastor of a church in Ephesus, he says, hey, listen, command them. Command them. This is a warning not to put your hope in uncertain things like riches, but put your hope in the only thing that is certain, and that's God. Beautiful here, because wealth isn't bad. It says here that we can be enjoyed. We can enjoy our wealth. It can be used for such good. But I love this verse because it doesn't say that he promises wealth. He just promises you can't count on it. But you can count on God. Why? Because one is temporary and one is eternal. John Broger says, The hope that God has provided for you is not merely a wish. Neither is it dependent on other people, possessions or circumstances for its validity. Instead, biblical hope is an application of your faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of his promises. Coupled with faith and love, hope is part of the abiding characteristics in a believer's life. He says it's not in any other thing other than God. So why do we think hope in God is sure? Is, is it certain? Is hope in our God wishful thinking too? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith has a substance. It has a hope. It's not blind faith. It has a basis in evidence and the future promises of God. Why? Because God is faithful. And we actually have evidence of that from the beginning of the Bible. 
the word of God, the beginning of life at the start. And then we also have the evidence in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just look at the Old Testament. We see right from the beginning, we turned away from God when we fell in the garden, but God didn't brush us from that moment. God still wanted relationship with humanity, and he promises that he'll send the Savior. And then he comes to the nation of Israel and says, I will be your God. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And even though the nation of Israel broke that covenant consistently and worshipped other gods, God didn't break his covenant. He was passionate, and he had this conviction, and he had this love for Israel. He was always bringing them back. He had so much grace for them. We see it all the way through, and then we see in the life of Jesus Christ. We see evidence of Jesus living in the flesh. There is no historian that would deny that Jesus lived in the flesh. There are so many different writings inside and outside the New Testament by Christians and by non-Christians. There's a guy named Josephus. He was a Jewish historian who worked for the Romans. And he wrote about this man named Jesus. And so we have this text outside of Christianity that says there was a man named Jesus and he wrote that he went around doing miraculous works and that he was crucified on the cross. And then there were reports of him raising again to life. And so we have evidence. It's not this blind faith. We have evidence of our hope that every historian would say that Jesus actually lived, did, a mirac- did miracles, and died on a cross, and there were reports of him rising again. And then we just need to look at Jesus' life. Look at what he preached, and did he live out what he preached? Absolutely. He said, love your enemies. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We see in the life of Jesus, we have this evidence in his teaching that he is faithful, that he is true. We have evidence that God loves us and that he's faithful, so faithful that he even come in the flesh. Romans 15, our main text says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, the God of hope. Do we know that God is the object of our hope? It's not us. Our hope is, God is our hope. He is the object of what we trust. He says, trust in him, not in yourselves, not in your circumstances, not in your health or your wealth or any of your relationships. Trust in God alone. And if we put our hope in God, we will live in joy and peace regardless of the situations we're going through. We will have this supernatural joy. He says, overflow with hope. Our lives will actually be different. If we truly believe in the promises of God, this will change our lives of how we actually live in this world. But how do we do it? It tells us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory, lives in each and every one of us to strengthen us and encourage us, to help us live in this world in a different way. This verse is saying, don't attach yourself to anything other than God. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. You see, the writer of Hebrews here, he's talking about Jesus in chapter 6, and he's talking about what Jesus did by going to the cross and raising again and going into the temple. He he talks about this hope that Jesus has bought for us, that we don't have to buy, that Jesus bought for us. He's saying that Jesus is the hope. He's the anchor for our soul. And this anchor is firm and secure. I love how the Bible uses analogies or, or pictures to describe biblical truths. It's like a ship. Imagine a ship out in the sea. And there's wind and there's waves and there's tide and it's being driven all over the place. And it throws out an anchor. What does an anchor do? Well, it secures you in a place and it stops you from being moved by the tide, by the wind and by the waves. But what if you don't have an anchor? 
Well, you're driven by those things, right? It's like the tide will just pull you in or pull you out. And it's like culture. If we don't have an anchor in something solid, culture will pull us this way. Then it'll pull us that way. And we'll just go whichever way the culture is going. But what about the wind? The wind drives the ship, right? The question is, what's driving your life? Are you driven for hope in something that is temporary? What is driving your hope? And then we have the waves. The waves can swamp and drown us instantly. It's like suddenly getting sick. All these different elements are coming towards us, and without an anchor, you're at the mercy of all these elements, and you can be thrown and driven against the cliffs, against the shore to destruction. You know what? There's nothing wrong with hoping for good things or hoping for worldly things like a promotion at work or the work contract or a good relationship. But if that is what you're anchored to, and all your hope is in that one thing for joy and peace, then when it fails, you'll find that you're driven towards the cliffs of destruction. For hope to carry us through this life, we need a better anchor for our soul. We need an anchor so sure, so solid, that it will not fail. So what are you anchored to? What is helping you weather the storms of life? R.C. Sproul says, Hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not a simply a wish. A wish that had such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. He's saying it's not like the Wimson wish that I hope this happens. He's saying when we anchor our souls to Christ, there is a sure foundation. If you want hope that is secure, that will weather any storm, he says, anchor to God. And this was lived out in Corrie ten Boone's life. He says, never be afraid to trust a known, known future to a known God. Here's a woman who was in a circumstance that literally had no future. She was imprisoned in a concentration camp in Germany. She was stripped of everything in life, with no hope at all, destined to suffering, pain, and even death. Both her father and her mother died in that camp. And yet she had a hope that nothing could extinguish. She had a hope that could endure the most hopeless situation. And that hope was the promise of Jesus Christ. The promise of a future hope that she held on to that was free from pain and suffering and evil and grief and even death. She had a hope in eternal life. This was not wishful thinking to her. It was a sure trust she had in her Savior and her God. And that sure hope carried her through that horrible experience. And afterwards, when she got out, she went around preaching about the gospel, about the love of God. How many of us would preach about the love of God? if we went through such a horrible situation. Timothy Keller says, we need a living hope to get through life and endure suffering. A living hope enables us to have both sorrow and joy. Our living hope is an inheritance achieved for us by Christ. Timothy Keller is saying, hey, pain and suffering, it's real. Like we all go through pain and suffering. There are people sitting here today, you're going through something really difficult. And it might seem like there's no hope. But what he's saying here is that, that there is hope. There is an eternal hope that sits down deep in our heart and our foundation. And Corrie Ten Boom, she had that faith in her salvation, a faith that actually carried her through those horrible times. But how do we access that hope? How do we get access to the hope that will carry us through? Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have gained access by faith 
into his grace, which we now stand, we get access through the person and the work of Jesus Christ by putting our faith and trust in him. And when we do that, we actually get this next verse. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Christians, we actually have a hope that nobody else has. We have a hope in Jesus Christ that God, even though we walked away from him, didn't leave us in this place. That through the advent of Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby, he came to redeem us, to restore us, to show us his love. That there would be no doubt about how much he loved us. He lived this sinless life, goes to the cross and absorbs the sin of every single person that puts their faith and trust in him. And he takes it to the cross and he goes, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to give you a hope that nobody else can give you. Nothing in this world can give you. And when he died and rose again in victory over Satan's sin and death, we receive that hope. I love it how he says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's the glory that we wait for, that we will be glorified one day. And we glory in our sufferings. Why do we glory in our sufferings? Because we know that it's not going to continue. That there is a day that that will all end for each and every one of us. And that suffering actually produces something. It produces perseverance, character. And that character produces hope. And the hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because our hope is in God. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our circumstances. It's in the one that can actually bring that to be. And because it's all based on God's love shown through us, to us through Jesus on the cross. This is the hope that we stand on. Jesus is the anchor for our soul. He's our only hope. And in 1 John, John the Apostle, he's speaking to the church. He writes a letter to the church, and he wants them to grasp something. He wants them to be tethered to something. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write you these things that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John's writing to a church suffering. They needed a real hope. This is not wishful thinking. He says, I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. There is no doubt in this. You actually have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Their hope, their salvation is assured. Do you have that hope today? Do you believe that your salvation is assured? Well, Jesus actually promises us as well. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a beautiful promise we get straight from the mouth of Jesus. He says, my sheep know my voice. I actually know them. I know who are mine. And I give them this gift of eternal life. And they will never perish. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. He says, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful, the almighty God has hold of you too. And then he makes this beautiful claim. He tells us who he is. He claims to be God himself. He says, I and the Father are one. I'm the second person of the Trinity here. Church, our hope is guaranteed by God. Nothing in this world is guaranteed. But we have a sure and dependable hope in Jesus Christ. And you know what? The resurrection is more evidence of our hope. 
Jesus resurrected, he appeared to the disciples, and they're like, we're seeing a ghost right now. This is freaky. And he's like, whoa, whoa, touch me. Ghost doesn't have flesh and bone, touch me. And here's the first fruits, the Bible says, of the resurrection, and this is the hope that we have. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're hopeless. We're pitiful. But because he did rise from the dead, everyone who is in him will rise again. That We will have eternal life. Nothing can take away our future with God. It's guaranteed future, free from pain and suffering. And this is the hope that helps us have joy and peace in the midst of the world of suffering and pain. Church, our salvation is guaranteed. Ed, do you want to come up, mate? Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. He's like, can anything separate us from the love of God? Even our persecution, does that separate us from the love of God? The next verse he says, no. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation, we are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's a beautiful hope. This is a promise of God that we are saved, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, and that we will spend eternity with God forever. Church, this transforms our entire life. It transforms our mind. It transforms our direction. It transforms our purpose. And it produces this unshakable hope in our hearts. Tim Keller says, Biblical hope is a life-changing certainty about the future. Being certain about the future in a way that affects how you live now. You see, this hope that we have in our hearts, it plays out in how we live. It's actually evident to all those around us. We have this deep hope that others don't seem to have. And if we truly have faith in God, then we'll actually live differently. The world around us won't affect us as much. We'll not be driven by the wind and the waves and the tides of life because we're actually anchored to a solid foundation. And our anchor is in God. We'll be in the same storm as everyone else, but we'll have a peace and a joy that passes understanding. And other people will see it, and they'll want to have it. They'll want to have what you have, what you possess. A sure hope, a true hope, a guaranteed hope, a heavenly hope, an eternal hope. 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always prepared to give an answer to those to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love this verse because it actually implies that Christians should be living with hope that's clearly evident to those around them. Our lives should be so different that people go, where's that from? Why are you so different? The question is, if someone asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, what would you say? Are you prepared to give an answer to a world in desperate need of real hope? Because we have the answer to the world. We have the answer to people living without hope. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have that hope living in us, the Holy Spirit. And we can give that hope freely this Christmas. We can give people the love of God, the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. May these words stay in your heart. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, that our hope, our anchor is in you. It's not in us. It's not in things. It's in your promises. I thank you, God, that we have your word, that we can read your word and see your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your faithfulness throughout all generations. Lord, I thank you that you actually came in the flesh to reveal your nature to us your willingness to die on our behalf, that we would have a hope that no one can take from us. And just in this moment of prayer, I just, I know there's people in this room that are living without hope in a certain area in their life. The Holy Spirit, would you just come? Just bring your peace, your comfort, your strength and your supernatural hope into that situation. Lord, I pray you would give us wisdom, discernment of how we can share that hope with gentleness, gentleness and respect, with love from our hearts. And in this moment of prayer, you might be sitting there and you've never actually received that forgiveness of sin. You didn't know that God wanted to redeem you and save you, that you didn't have to do anything but just put your faith and trust in Him. He wants to give you a hope. You might feel like there is no hope. I'm here today to tell you there is hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. So if you want this hope in your life, I'm going to ask you to, to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. You can do that now. let's just pray this together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord, but we put our faith and trust in you. Lord, I make you my anchor, the anchor for my soul. I ask for you to empower me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is the beauty that we actually celebrate in communion. This time where we remember what Jesus did on the cross. This is a meal of hope. This is a meal where we look to the future and go, Jesus has done everything by coming in the body. That he was beaten, that he was torn. That he came to show us the Father's love. So much so that he went to the cross. And he shed his blood that our blood would not be shed. When we gather around this meal, it's a meal of hope where we look to the future where we'll spend eternity with each other and with our God. Paul says to the Corinth church, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. There's that promise right there. We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We believe, we hope, we know, we anticipate the second coming of Christ where he'll renew all things. 
So before we take of this meal, let's come before him in repentance. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Before we take of this meal, remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Lord, I have sinned in word, in deed, in action, and in action, God. And Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Would you convict our hearts where we're not walking in step with you? Father God, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that your word, your, your word says, it gives us a promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Lord, you also command us to forgive. So God, in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you convict us if we're holding any bitterness or unforgiveness against anyone? Lord, may we know your forgiveness so much that we've been forgiven of everything that we may live that out and forgive others, God. Give us wisdom and discernment on how to do that well. Lord, as you've forgiven us, we forgive those who have sinned against us too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to stand with me, you can take off the first layer. the hope that we stand in. This is our firm foundation that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Let's eat together. Rip off the second layer. You just shed his blood as a new covenant, a new promise to each and every person, to you and I, that our sins are forgiven, our salvation is guaranteed. Let's drink together in thankfulness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that is instilled in us that we see a better future, a future filled with love and mercy and grace. God, may we live that out in our lives, that it would draw people to your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Let's worship this amazing God together.